Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Hi guys, so excited to spend time with you online. Wherever you are, might find yourself here in Bloemfontein, whether it's behind a laptop, whether it's behind your phone. We are in week number three of our series called Awakened to Life. We've been looking at what does it look like to live the awakened life. Now in week one, we looked at the fact that God wakes us up to the brand new life. And we also looked at two things that might be keeping us stuck in the snooze zone. To not fully live the awakened life. To be awake, but not get up. And we said it was our fears and our failures that so easily gets us stuck in the snooze zone and not fully living the awakened life. Now today we are in week three and we're looking at one of the first components of living the awakened life. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What, is, what does it all together mean to live the awakened life? And we are looking at this truth that says when we live the awakened life, we are drawn by grace and we are not driven by expectation. So let's dive in. I'd like to start off with a story myself, I was about six years of age, and I'll never forget this. I had a chat with my dad, and he started explaining to me, this is a big birthday. And I mean, I was building up to this big birthday, because now for the first time, no longer just one hand, now you are two hands old. It was a big moment. And I remember sitting with my dad and he explaining to me, you, you're becoming a big boy now. And you're, gonna, you're really a strong boy now. You can help around the house and stuff like that. You know, that talk, that kind of move. So I kind of took my dad's encouragement a little bit literally when he told me, especially when he told me I'm a strong boy. So I went literally around the house everywhere where I could find something to prove my strength, to pick up whatever I could pick up. What was the biggest thing? And no jokes, I even tried to pick up my dad's car. That's how strong I believed I was, because my dad told me. And then finally, <laughs> I got to the heaviest thing that I could pick up, and it was my own bed. Now, I had kind of a big bed in my room. It was uh, an inherited piece. It was my grandparents' bed, and it um, wasn't fully a, 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 an ankle bed. It was a bit three-quarter bed. It was quite a big bed. And um, I could literally just, just, just lift it as I was laying on my, on my shoulders and bench-pressing this Bed up with all of my power and my might. And no kidding, on my sixth birthday, when all my family came, Oma, Opa, the whole lot, I got every single person into my room and I got to show them. I'm like, come check here. When they arrived at the party, I was like, come with me. I want to show you something. And I'll bench press that. And I was like, bench lifting like, just like this much. And I was like, mm, I'm strong guy, I'm strong guy. Now, you might laugh at me, but let me tell you something powerful. I absolutely believe that I was the strongest man in that house because my dad told me. And I wonder what it would look like if we would actually live and believe what our Heavenly Father says about us. I wonder how would we live if we do believe what He says. Just like my dad said, I'm strong, and I absolutely believed him. I wonder what it would look like if you, as a child of God, would actually believe what God says over your life. Now, I believe, maybe if we do that, I believe two things will radically change in our lives. 
And I also believe we will get to see people that lives like Jesus. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. And we're also going to look at how Jesus invites us to live like this. Live like we actually believe what God says. So let's dive in. The first two things, the first one of the two, that I believe will radically change if we actually believe what God says, is I think that our being will change. I mean, our identity, who we define ourselves as. And here's why. Because whoever owns you gets to define you. They get to name you. I mean, think about it for a moment. Whenever you give a small child a teddy bear or they get a brand new puppy at home, it's all about naming. It's all about identifying, putting a name to that new, new thing, brand new thing that they would own, whether it's a puppy or a teddy bear or whatever it may be. And I mean, even as a parent, I'll never forget the privilege as well as the weighty moment of getting to name my firstborn, my child. To give Jean his name was quite a big moment for me to think about what am I going to call this kid? for the rest of his life and give him a name. And the same should be when it comes to the gospel. You see, Jesus paid the ultimate price for your life. He owns you. You're one of his children, the Bible says. You're now in the Father's house, and he gets to name you. He gets to say who you are. However, I find that so many Christians do not believe what God calls them, and what God gets to identify you as. We struggle with this. In fact, I want to look a little bit deeper into this by checking out a statement with Jeremiah, an interaction that God had with Jeremiah. And it's in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. You can read with me. It will be on the screen. It says the following. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. A so oh, sovereign Lord, I said. And this is now Jeremiah responding. I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. Now, this is quite true. I mean, at that stage, Jeremiah was standing there. He was about 17 years old when God calls him as a prophet to his nation, I mean, he's a 17-year-old boy, and he needs to go and confront kings. He needs to challenge them with God's word. I can imagine this man, or this boy, for that matter, this teenager boy, being overwhelmed with the calling of God over his life. And at that stage, he's like, I don't even know how to speak. What do you mean you want to call me to speak to these guys? I'm overwhelmed by this. And then the Lord speaks back. The Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a child. You don't identify who you are. I will tell you who you are. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Today I want you to hear that what God told Jeremiah is telling you and me. He's telling all of us. He's saying, hey, you can put in your name there, Lorraine. I have formed you. I know you. I've set you apart. I have appointed you. You belong to me. So I get to say who you are. And God is reminding us 
that he is the only one that has the authority to name us, to give us an identity, because we belong to him. And not like we would many times believe, or we are led to believe, that it might be our age. Like in Jeremiah's case, I'm only a child. I can't do anything. Well, you're appointed. You're anointed. You're called by God. You're his. And he has a plan for your life. So, first thing that would change is your being. Who you are. Why? Because whoever owns you gets to name you. The second thing that I think would change radically is not just your being, but also your doing. The way you live life. The way you do things. And here it's so powerful because <clears throat> your identity determines your activity. That's the reason why your doing would change. It's because you're being changed. This is so crucial to understand. Um, and so many people miss this. To put it as bluntly and as clearly as I possibly can, fish swim, birds fly, sinners sin. Righteous people, they live righteously. Unfortunately, when I'm saying this, there is a big problem for so many of us. Because we do away with what God says about us, and therefore we miss the truth of who we truly are and how we ought to live. What's the capacity that's locked up within us? So many Christians believe the lie that I am what I do. In fact, I've asked this question to so many people all around, and I ask them always a little bit of a trick question, asking them, who are you going to be one day when you grow up? And I always get the same answer. It's always either I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a teacher or I'm going to be that policeman or fireman that I've always dreamed about as a young kid. And I'm like, I'm so happy that's what you're going to do one day when you grow up. But I didn't ask you what you're going to do. I asked you who you're going to be. And in that little answer is locked up something that we struggle with so much. We connect our achievements to our identity so quickly. Our activity determines determines who we are and what we're doing. And that is the greatest lie we could ever believe. And I quickly want to show you how foolish that lie is. And to do that, I brought with me today a cup. And I also brought with me today a Coke. Now, first, let's start with our cup. When you look at any cup, anybody knows that a cup is designed with a specific purpose. It's created to host and carry hot drinks, nice hot beverages to drink them out of. And it's because of this beautiful and wonderful ear that the person that created this cup decided this is going to be an amazing tool to drink some coffee or tea or whatever it is from. And that's why we call it a cup. It's a cup. The creator decided it's a cup. And because it's a cup, it has a specific purpose. Now, imagine for a moment I would take this cup and I would open up my Coke here. And as I'm opening up this Coke, pouring it into the cup, this is going to be good now. I'm really going to enjoy this. Just imagine, one big question I have for you. As I was pouring this Coke into the cup, which is actually supposed to hold hot beverages, did it turn this cup into a glass suddenly? I mean, it's, it's not doing what it's created to do. It can do this, but it doesn't turn it into a glass. Am I correct? 
Now, that's exactly the case for you and for me when it comes to this lie. Because as impossible as it is for this Coke to turn this cup into a glass, as impossible is it for your works, your sin, to turn you into a sinner after you are in Jesus Christ. What you do can never define you, but it's who owns you that does that. And when you lock up into that and you believe it, the capacity that comes through is immense. It's huge. It's, it's all inspiring. It's sad to say that so many Christians today still identify themselves as sinners. When God's word says, if you believe in Jesus, he gives you the right to be called a child of God. That's your identity. That's who you are. And because you're a child, you get to live like a child. What do you think that looks like? What do you think a life as a child of God looks like? Well, I can promise you one thing. It's a life filled with an abundance of freedom. That's what it is. For instance, it will be a life free from the burden of performance. It will be a life that's free from consistently trying to prove your worth to God. Because you're His child. And He loves you. And He's already shown how much He loves you. And He's already put a stamp behind your worth by sending His Son to die for you. And that's just it. In Jesus, we get to see what does it look like and how He actually got to live this free life. So I first want to dive into this. How did Jesus do it? How did he live this free life? How did he fully enjoy the life God gave him? And it's here in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I want to read it to you guys. It's at Jesus' baptism moment, and it goes as follows. So when he had been baptized, Matthew writes, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and <clears throat> a light and, 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 and a light shining upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. And listen to this. Here's the key. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Three things the father speaks over Jesus. Firstly, my son whom I love and I'm well pleased with. And I want you to hear this today. If you are in Jesus, this is true for you. My child, whom I love, I am well pleased with you. And the beauty of this well pleased with Jesus was this was before Jesus did a thing. His ministry only started after he got baptized. So there was nothing Jesus did to be pleased, to please God in any way. It was just because this is who he is. And in the same way, you need to discover that God is pleased with you. He loves you. And He has taken ownership. He said, I will take you. I will look after you. You belong to me. This is where you stay. Guys, this declaration was the source of the security of Jesus' life. This was the source of Jesus' security. I wonder what's your security. What securities do you build your life on? 
is there maybe other voices that you're listening to telling you if you reach that level of success, if you have that salary, if those people would approve of you and they would like you, then finally you will be secure in who you are. Are those some of the voices that's plaguing you and haunting you at night in your nightmares because you're not yet fully awake? Maybe I've been set free, but you're not living free. You're listening to old voices. You need to hear the Father's voice just as He spoke it over His Son. You are His child. He loves you. And He is pleased with you. If that's the case, you'll discover that not just as Jesus had a security, He invites us into that same security, that source that gave him the capacity to live like this. When you are securely loved, you can securely live. And here's how we're going to discover this. I want to take you into the last little point. Is How can we live like Jesus lived? I think the key is here in Matthew 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And I want to read it for you out of the message translation because I think Eugene Peterson just gets it spot on. It's just so beautiful. What does it look like? than to live a life where you are drawn by grace, by the love of God, and are driven by an expectation to try and prove yourself in front of Him. He says the following. He says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? I wonder who He's speaking to today. Are you maybe there? Have you been trying to work your way back to God? Trying to prove your worth because you've failed too much. You have too much fear. You've, you've totally missed the bus in so many areas. Jesus says, if that's you, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And then he says the following. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Have you ever surrendered? to the unforced rhythms of God's grace. Knowing that you are loved, you don't have to work for it. Knowing that you are approved, He is well pleased with you. Have you ever been there? Because if that's the case, you'll discover two things. You'll discover that Jesus is not just merely an example for us, but He's an example of us. We are His beloved children, the fathers. And then we'll discover the difference of what it means to live a life drawn by grace versus driven by expectation. And, and I quickly want to give you a comparison. I want to read this to you. When you live from grace, you live like a beloved son and daughter. When you are drawn or, or driven by expectations, you live as a spiritual orphan. And the difference between the two is that someone living from grace sees God as a father. Someone living by an expectation sees him as a master. They live in freedom or they live with fear. They allow themselves to be loved or they need to take care of themselves. They feel wanted and accepted or you feel lonely and isolated. You live completely dependent on God or you live absolutely independent. You live in a place where you can receive and where you can rest or you live in a place where you continually have to achieve and perform. 
You live in abundance or you live with a scarcity mentality. You either fully trust or you tend to be skeptical towards whatever your father calls you, or in this case, your master. I want to end off with the story of probably one of the best illustrations of how Jesus and God invites us to live in an environment of grace, to be drawn by His grace, to live from that space. And it's in Luke chapter 15. It's a story that we all know very well. It's the story of the lost son. And we're going to focus just on the younger brother. And we're going to dive into the story where the younger brother finds himself in the mess of his own making. He's right at the end of this road when he decided to rebel against his dad, run away, shame the family name, sin against his father and heaven, as he would say. And this is where we find him, verse 18, Luke chapter 15, and it says the following. It's the younger son thinking to himself, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned, sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So here he sits in the mess of his own making, his own failure, and he starts thinking to himself. He's reminded of the love that he received in his father's house the provision that he received in his father's house. He's reminded of that. And he thinks even his servants is being treated better. His father's servants were being treated better than what he is right now. So he thinks, if I could only be a servant, I'm no longer worthy of being a son. That's clear. I wonder about you. I wonder if you can relate to this. I wonder if you've messed up so much that you'd say, Lorraine, you don't know. I can never be loved by God. Let's read the story further. Bible says, verse 20, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I want you to know this, that God sees you, even in the middle of your greatest mess, greatest mistake. The father sees you. He knows where you are. He knows your heart. He has not forgotten about you. He's waiting with great expectation and anticipation to see his son come back, to see his daughter come back. And then he was filled with, and I love this, the father didn't just see him, but he was filled with compassion for him. This word compassion means a willingness to suffer with someone else. And it's as if the father's heart breaks for his son when he sees him. It's as if he's there at that moment with his son. When his son comes up to him, overwhelmed by this failure and by this mess of his own making, I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. And he has his eye on you. And he knows the suffering that you're going through. And then the Bible tells us something truly remarkable. This dad, with all of his compassion, waiting with great anticipation for his boy to come back, runs. He starts running. He runs to his son. In fact, one of the commentators says, this father is acting more like a mother than a dad. You mean, if you're the dad of the house, you're the head of the house. You're the head of the family. You don't go to people. People come to you. But not this dad. 
No, not this dad. He gives it all up. He would, he would gird up his loins and he would run. And his legs would be exposed and, and, he, and he doesn't care. It might be even embarrassing, but he doesn't care. He just runs. I want you to hear that you don't have to wait to get to God. God came to you. He's on his way. And then in verse 21, he says, well, sorry, it says verse, verses 20, that he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son starts saying to his father, Father, I have sinned against you. You can see the speech, the one that he practiced. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then where's the I'm going to work my way back part of the speech because it's just suddenly not there. Why? Because dad immediately cuts him off and he says, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know what's happening in this story? This boy is coming back thinking he's going to work his way back into his dad's good books. Find favor in his dad's eyes. He was thinking when he would meet his father, his father would have a lot of expectations for him to come back to the family. What does he discover? Not a father with expectations, but a father filled with love. That's clawing his way down from heaven to earth to come and pick you up. You're not working your way back, my boy. I am bringing you back. And I wonder if you need to hear this today wherever you are. You maybe had this big plan. I'm going to work. My, I'm going to come back to church. I'm going to read Bible. I'm going to be praying. God, I'm going to do everything right because I have messed up so big. And you've been overwhelmed by guilt and shame. And all of these other voices have been telling you that you do not belong with God. You're not worthy. And you're not listening to the voice of your dad that says, you're my child, whom I love, and I'm well pleased with. He's bringing you back. You're not working your way back. I thought it best to speak this over you in a moment of prayer. John chapter 8, 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So today, I'd like to end off by speaking the truth. Whatever God says over your life, if you're in Jesus, this is what He says. And I'd like to invite you just for a moment to close your eyes and just listen to my voice and allow this truth to wash over your heart and your mind. If you're in Jesus, you are already loved, which means you have nothing to fear. You're already forgiven, which means you have no debt to pay. You're already his masterpiece, which means you are of immeasurable value. You are already free, which means nothing can hold you back. 
you're already accepted, which means you have nothing to prove. And you are already his beloved daughter and son, which means you are alive, for you are no longer dead in your sin, but you are now alive in Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray this over every person that's listening to this message. Everyone that has accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. We pray that we would not just be set free, but that we would live free. Live a life drawn by the grace of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.